Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and joining me this week is Max Posner, whose new play, The Treasure, is currently running at Playwrights Horizons. Hello, Max Posner. Hello. <laughs> thanks for doing this. Um, and as a matter of fact, thanks for coming back. I should tell listeners that we talked before and we had technical difficulty. And so you've been gracious enough to um, come back and talk to us again about the treasurer. So really, thank I'm you. I'm happy to. So um, let's start off with your sort of telling uh, uh, our listeners briefly what The Treasurer is um, about. The Treasurer is about a man who uh, is sort of middle-aged and he has this sort of very difficult, uh, frustrating relationship with his mother, who is someone that he's basically cut out of his life and he has a life that he's pretty much happy with, but as she uh, begins a sort of mental and physical decline at the end of her life, um, she re-enters the center of his life, and he um, is basically consumed by problems of her spending money, uh, because she is completely um, bankrupt and is relying on her children for all of her money and and believes that she is of a certain class that she actually um at least when it comes to the the numbers is no longer a member of and so it's it's really about uh my father and his relationship with my grandmother and and he's vaguely aware that a play is being written about this and he's sort of given permission uh, for that play to exist. And so in a way it's kind of circling the drain of this, of this very kind of ugly feeling. And, um, yeah, that's what it's about. And when you say he's aware, you mean actually the character in the play because it opens with him talking to us in the audience. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It opens with him just kind of walking out and addressing everyone in the room with all of the lights on uh, and sort of welcoming everyone into the play that he, I would say, is a sort of reluctant participant in. And, you know, in writing the play, I did get permission from my father to to write it, um, who's been very supportive of me and my writing. But of course, it's a very intense thing too to try and um, put some of these uncomfortable feelings that I think mostly people deal with alone uh, to, to suddenly put them in a room full of 130 people eight times a week is is, um, is a lot to sign up for. Yeah. You you obviously observe the dynamics between your um, your father and your, your grandmother, but did you talk to them about uh, their feelings, because there's a lot of psychological insight into being a middle-aged person, being an old person, and you're kind of a young person. I am kind of a young person, but I, I feel like I've always felt a little uh, middle-aged, for better or worse. Um, but 
But, you know, I did talk to them. Well, I haven't really talked to my grandmother about her internal life or feelings because um, I was kept pretty far from her. I grew up in Denver. She lived in Albany. We visited kind of as, as infrequently as possible. Um, and so, but I did talk to my father about his emotions. But more than that, I feel like I kind of observed him and and tried to pay attention to him and I think that I you know my mother is a psychologist and uh, I think that I you know I moved to New York and I, I studied playwriting and, and so I feel like I sort of tried to apply a lot of the the thinking that I just in general sort of try to do in my in my writing um, and in my life to this person my father who in some ways um, is a little bit opaque emotionally and and so that was sort of the project of it was like the 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 gymnastics of trying to think of my father as a son which hmm. is um impossible but i think that the play uh, is an attempt at that how long have you been working on on this piece i've been working on the treasurer for three and a half years i began writing it three and a half years ago and um, we knew it would be produced at Playwrights Horizons about maybe a year or a year and a half ago. So, so then the work for the past year and a half has kind of been about, uh, you know, just getting it ready for this production and, and getting the production itself and, 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 and the collaborations. Sort of How much track. has it changed over the course of, of that three and a half years? Uh, I feel like the the soul of it has not changed much, and the first five minutes and the last five minutes have not changed much. But everything in the middle uh, have, has changed, you know, just a lot in ways that I don't. It's so funny, like when you're writing a play for years, you get so stuck, and you and you or I do, and you sort of like are aware of all of these moments of just discomfort and these microscopic changes and then there's this weird like thing that happens to me at least when you finish it and it's happening that I like I almost have erased how it was built <laughs> like I almost can't quite um piece together like what it used to be versus what it is now but I I did begin working with uh David Cromer and Peter Friedman and Deanna Dunnigan and Marinda Anderson who's in the play as well on uh we we did this long workshop of the play uh, in 2016, in in the spring of 2016, yes, and and we it was a three week long workshop with the Sundance Institute, and and so that I entered that workshop with this kind of very intense, unruly uh, play that that I knew I needed to sort of carve into the thing that we ended up making, which I think was the thing I always was aiming for and wanted it to be but but a massive amount of work happened in those three weeks and and the play did i feel like kind of find its um its current form then that's a pretty terrific um lineup of people to work with um deanna dunnigan from who won her tony for august osage county peter friedman who's wonderful and everything and um and david cromer what what was yes. the relationship of working with with Cromer uh, like? How was he helpful in shaping the play? 
Well, I, I'm so lucky because uh, Cromer, he's just an incredibly um, incisive director who also is not afraid to attempt discomfort, which mm-hmm. I think the play actually does. And there's this, I mean, I think David was always talking about how in some ways the problem of the play, if you were to just describe it uh, at a bar, is like, that a middle-aged Jewish man doesn't like his mother, which is uh, a problem that I think is 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 many plays are about. It's very familiar in a certain way, but I never really thought about it like that because the play itself, I think, is is attempting to excavate these secrets, these these feelings that I think most things that are even like that don't quite delve into. And so I think David was really drawn to the fact that this is a story about a person who doesn't like their mom, who doesn't feel a thing that they think they should feel about a family member, um, who's struggling with like an absence of feeling. And, and that that is kind of, um, I think, the kernel for him. And so the play itself is, is very particular in the way that it's sort of laid out and worded, but it doesn't actually tell you what it should look like and um and it's very clear that you know the majority of the conversations happen on the telephone mm-hmm. in the play which i don't want to freak listeners out <laughs> i i i i know that that seems like the sort of least dramatic thing that one could ever watch is people just sort of mumbling into a phone but i do think that um david was really excited about finding the texture of those phone conversations and making them really different from each other and and really real. And I think the reason that I'm interested in doing that is that, you know, I I think that we need to be watching plays that sort of do reflect what it's like to live right now. And I, I, I sometimes feel frustrated when I see plays that that pretend like everyone's just like making eye contact with each other and speaking directly to each other all the time. And I feel like those plays are in some ways less and less about actual life and more about other plays. And so, um, so, so David, I think was also really excited by that, that challenge and, and has built this um, amazing kind of labyrinth of rooms that extend forever and, and has really leaned into the fact that these people are not in the same room they're not in the same city they're not in the same state most of the time they're actually separated by these great distances and i think it i think it makes it so when there's a scene between two people who are actually in a room together you really feel it you really feel the difference and i think that's a lot of what the characters are struggling with is that um especially Ida's character with how rare it Ida, is Ida the woman who's be. the character who's your grandmother exactly mm-hmm. like with with how rare it is to really be in a conversation with another living breathing person who's in front of you um which she mostly finds when she's in stores buying things uh and so so I feel like the production really sort of emphasizes um those things in an incredibly um bold but 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 grounded uh way and so and that's david i mean that's the way he thinks and he he brings such a um such a just clear eye to people too i think that both of us are really interested in 
emotional detail uh, and really sort of not skipping things, really digging into the, the microscopic uh, details of some of these um, often contradictory emotions. Well, one of the things that I thought was really impressive is that the Ida character, your grandmother, could have been really just sort of a villain uh, in the piece, mm. and 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 yet you show great empathy towards her. Well, that makes me happy. I mean, I think that that's been a fear of mine. Is and 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 the play is a bit of a Rorschach test. Like, depending on who's watching it, she is a villain, or he is a villain, or um, and I'm I am shocked that some people I feel like can dismiss her pretty easily. When in my mind, she's also. Um, it's unclear the moment when she begins uh, becoming ill and having mm-hmm. dementia and not having a complete grasp on reality, which is a problem that she's maybe had her entire life. But also, I feel like there's a kind of um, inability for her children, who are not physically with her, to understand these very drastic but kind of invisible changes that are happening inside of her mind that to me make me just feel very um very warm towards her because yeah, I feel you like create she's a real, trying to live a real inner life for her that's what I was going to say you've really created yeah. one for her which is well that's that's that was my goal and you know it was hard because I didn't want to sugarcoat anything or suddenly transform her into a sort of person that 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 is not impossible like I think she is impossible in many ways that he describes but I also I feel like it was really important that neither of them really have a complete view of the other person and in fact they have sort of tragically partial views um, of, of, of the other and it, he especially has a partial view of, of her and everyone is sort of making these grand determinations about their own family that are actually um, based on just such incomplete data about about these people. Yeah. And so I, I want the audience to have the complete data. You know, I, I feel like that's the sort of exciting thing about the play is for the audience to have this ultimately sort of complex and deep grasp on both of these people and their situations, but but really get to observe how how they don't have that of each other. I I feel um, whenever I'm talking about your your play that I need to say it's it's sort of a sad subject. It, there is the uh, the dementia, the breakdown of the character Ida, but it's also a very funny play. Um, I'm really glad you say that because I I do you know I am a comedy person actually like that's what I. Uh, when I was studying at Juilliard, Chris Durang was and is sort of a mentor of mine. And uh, and I feel like I've always, um, I've never thought of any play that I've written as, as not a comedy. And I, um, this one is obviously not just funny, but I do think that um, the kind of flailing that happens, there's a pattern to it that I think is actually quite humorous and I think that everyone in the play actually has a sense of humor too um, do you find do you find audiences responding differently depending on their own age 
their own background. I do. How's yeah, that? it's fascinating. I feel like this play invites like more different forms of laughter than I've ever <laughs> known were there. And that I feel like some people uh, are dealing, many of the audience members, I think, are dealing with problems that appear in the play. It's a pretty universal problem. I mean, mostly, I mean, everyone's parents are going to die and and you sort of hope they die before you do. And so, um, and so, and the just, the just sort of logistics of that are, are no one is spared. So I think that um, a lot of the audience, there's a the laughter of recognition mm. and, and sort of seeing this thing that um, is almost hard to see in life. But I think when you put it in a play and it's sort of, there's a frame around it, it allows us to kind of see these actors stand in and act for us in this, in this situation that many of the audience finds themselves in. So I think that leads to uh, some laughter. And then I think there's um, things that there, there are things in the play that I think are genuinely funny or, or absurd. And I think that um, those invite just like the laughter that you would, you would have in a, in a comedy. And then I feel like sometimes people are uneasy or uncomfortable. And, and there's the laughter of trying to sort of like turn the play into a comedy too. And then there's also young people who don't, who are approaching the play from a whole other angle. And, you know, I'm excited about the way that this play is a conversation between generations. And I feel like um, as a young artist working in theater, it's fascinating because many of the people who, who come to my plays, if my plays are being produced, are, are twice as old as me or, mm -hmm. or older. And, and I, I really started thinking about that and thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could have a conversation sort of between us that, that, that happened inside of the play. And I actually feel like the audience's reactions on any given night kind of is that conversation. And, um, and, and the play, even though there are no millennials to be found in it, no young people, I mean, there, there are brief roles, but, but, but the problem of the play is a much, is a much older problem. I feel like, uh, young people are finding a way into it as well because the actual form of the play and the and the structure of the play mm -hmm. i think is um is is younger mm -hmm. uh, interesting have uh y your family members seen the play what's been their response yes between our last conversation and this <laughs> one they've seen it i think uh, uh -huh. and they they my dad uh loved it i think um my mother too. I, I, it's almost hard to like fully talk about with them. It's like, I, I, I almost, I didn't want to sort of like break apart every moment and scene with them. But I think that uh, it was a meaningful experience for them. And I think that they were, I think that my dad felt um, a certain amount of relief because the, the kind of fear of the play is actually, um, in some ways more alarming than the play itself uh, for him, I think. And, and I think that he felt recognized and the fear of course is that like he's going to be made a bad person in front of all these people and that everyone's going to think he's a bad person, but, but that's really not what happens. Um, and neither is she. And I think he was fearful that she would be as well. And that would cause its own kind of guilt. And so, and so, uh, I was really happy because I felt like 
he thought we got it right. And actually, the thing that I was sort of unusual, because normally when you're writing a play, you're just thinking about wanting to write a good play that gets produced that audiences connect with. But with this play, I, I had this extra um, exercise, which I think was related, which was trying to tell the truth about my dad and trying to almost speak to my dad uh, through the play. Um, and so in some ways, it was hard to maybe discuss the play too much because the ending of the play, at least, is for me like the most important thing that I had to say to my dad <laughs> is, is, is said from the stage which is a strange way to conduct one's life, but that's what happened. Well, I think I think the play has something to say to uh, lots of people, um, uh, not just your dad. And um, it's running through when at Playwrights Horizons? Uh, right now it's running through November 5th. They just extended and added two weeks. Great. Congratulations on that. And thank again, you. thank you for talking to us twice. <laughs> Of course. Thanks for having me twice. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com.